Thank you. Well, again, it's uh, really good to see you. And before we begin our teaching time this morning, let me just say it's really good to be back with you and thank you so much for uh, the extended time away uh, to be on sabbatical. It was a real blessing to be able to unplug and to recharge, connect with family and just mix up the life rhythms for a little while um, and have extended uh, time uh, of connection. So thank you very much. And I want to thank Pastor Brian for his leadership uh, while I was away. I know that uh, he was a blessing to you, and he has told me that you were a blessing to him. And so thank you doubly for that. And the rest of our staff team, lay leaders, Bible study teachers, uh, thank you so much. Well, the eyes of the world over this past week have been on Great Britain in the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Queen Elizabeth was a gracious and kind presence on the global stage, and she will be missed. As you have probably read and and even known before, she was a devout Christian, uh, very strong and steady in her faith. And so may she rest in peace and indeed rise in glory. I've mentioned before, and I thought about this even before this past week, but I, I really enjoy various British TV shows. But one thing I find fascinating about them, and maybe you have too if you've watched any, is that they, although we share the same language, there are words that they have that just, I, like, I don't understand what they're saying. And it's almost, it's like I need a, a different definition, a different dictionary or something. Let me just give you a few examples. So, for example, take a look at this picture. Okay, what do we call that here? Pacifier, some might call it a binky, and other have other names for it. What do they call it in Great Britain? A dummy. Yeah, right, right. Let's do the next one. Okay, what will we call this here? A hat or a man, a man with a hat. So there, a bloke with a hat. So that's a bloke is what you call a man over there. Okay, next one. Okay, this is easy, right? This is a bed, right? Well, in Great Britain, in some places, they've called this your KIP, K-I-P. Yeah, yeah, this is a lesson, right? And you never knew you were signing up for this kind of lesson today. Okay, here's the last one. You've got to get this one, right? What? We call this a cup of tea. What do they call it there? Simply a cuppa, right? They have so much tea that they've just shortened it to a cuppa. We speak the same language, but we need more translation. We need further interpretation. Now, most of you probably don't get that, but I'm from North Carolina, and I need translation, even though I speak the same language as some of you. So I get it. Well, today we're beginning a new series, as we mentioned earlier, called Say What? And in this series, what we're doing is we're unpacking some some terms that are used a lot in church, but sometimes need further explanation. So some of us probably didn't grow up in church. And these words, uh, while maybe some around us may assume that everybody knows what these words mean, but if we didn't grow up in church, maybe we've never really learned. Still, others of us may have grown up hearing these words, but they're so commonplace that we never stop long enough to say, okay, what does that really mean? Or we may not have explored what these words may actually mean for our spiritual journey. And so what I'd like to do in this series is, yes, I'd like to unpack the, the theological meaning of each of these words, but more importantly, I'd like for us to consider how these Christian com- 
concepts impact and apply to our lives today. And so today we consider a word that is actually not found in the Bible anywhere. You, can, you just can't find this word in the Bible at all, but it is referred to often, and that is the word Trinity. The word Trinity is a very often used word in the church, but a very uh, often misunderstood concept. Now, most people, even if they don't have a church background, will identify with the word Trinity in some way as referring to the nature of God. And a, a simple definition of the word Trinity is that it simply refers to the Christian concept of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But you start scratching beneath the surface just a little bit, and one major question surfaces along with several others. But the most common question is, does the doctrine of the Trinity mean that the Christian concept of God is really a concept of three gods? Do we actually worship three gods instead of one? Now, when our daughter Margo was in elementary school, around seven or eight, we asked her to say grace one night before dinner. And before she started to pray, she said, do you want me to pray to Jesus or to God? She just left the Holy Spirit out altogether. But she wanted to know, and that's kind of an understandable question. I've even recognized before when I'm praying, I might just sort of travel around the neighborhood of the deity, and I might start by talking to God, then I might move over and talk to Jesus for a while, and then go back and thank God for Jesus, and maybe refer to the Holy Spirit at times. Maybe I should have told you that because you now be listening for it and you'll be distracted. But it's an understandable question. But the answer to that question, do we have actually three gods instead of one, is no. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit make up what we call the Godhead. But it is God, three persons. One God, three persons. Here's a technical definition for you. We put it on the screen. The doctrine of the Trinity means that there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is one in essence and three in person. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. Each person is fully God, and there is only one God. In this definition, essence means to the nature of God, the nature and being of God. Person is different than our concept, which is why it's capitalized. It does not mean an individual like we might use it every day, but rather it refers to an entity that has a center of consciousness that refers to self as I and others as you. Okay, so that's it. Let's stand for the benediction. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Let me give you an example. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. So that's Jesus referring to himself and referring to someone else. Or in this classic verse in John 14, 26, Jesus says this, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The term Trinity does not appear in the Bible, but is captured beautifully by our Lord right here in that one passage. We see Father, we see Holy Spirit, we see Son. Some have tried to use analogies for the Trinity, such as the Trinity is like a person that has three different expressions. So, for example, I am both, or I am all three. I am a husband, I am a father, and I am a son. But that really doesn't work because that's one person with three modes. That's not how God works. 
God's not just one God, then three different modes of God. And then some have said the Trinity is kind of like water. There's, water has three forms, liquid, vapor, and ice. But these forms all have the same substance. Well, the different persons are not forms of God. Each of them is God. So maybe this picture can help here. It's called the Trinitarian shield. That might help. It's been used throughout Christian history. Well, maybe it won't help if it's not coming up. So anyway, I'll get that for you another time. So here's the bottom line. We cannot, with our finite human minds, completely comprehend the Trinity. And we cannot adequately explain the Trinity. And this is our first big takeaway this morning. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is bigger, is greater, is more sophisticated and complex, is more mysterious than the human mind can comprehend. And I don't know about you, but that makes me feel really good. That makes me feel really good. Evelyn Underhill wrote, if God were small enough to be understood, God would not be big enough to be worshipped. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go uh, to North Carolina for my stepfather's 90th birthday, and we had a party for him. And uh, my uncle Raymond was there, and he pulled me aside, and he, he told me about a story when he and my aunt drove across country to the Grand Canyon. And he, he told me a lot of different things about all the different stops and everything, as uncles tend to do. You know, they just tell these stories on and on and on. But he said, when they got to the Grand Canyon, the tour guide said to him, now listen, when you get as close as you can get, and you look over the Grand Canyon, be careful, because it will take your breath away. And Uncle Raymond kept telling me the story, and he said, Philip, when I got there, he said, I went up as close as I could get, and you know what happened? And I said, what happened? He said, I went, ah! it took his breath away. He said, it took my breath away, and it did. Whenever we look deeply into the Trinity, the beautiful mystery of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, it takes your breath away. And what we should do is we should hold God in awe. We should hold God with this wonderful mystery. And as human beings, we should fall down and worship this incredible God and just recognize that his ways are higher than our ways. And we worship him. And that is the big takeaway from the theology of of the Trinity is our God is just bigger than we can comprehend. And that's a good, good thing. So that's the so what, or that's the say what. So how about the so what? What does this mean? What does this mean for our lives each and every day? Well, in this passage that Pastor Brian read earlier, it's a long, lengthy passage with a lot of different doctrines and theologies attached. But one of the things we see is this beautiful interplay of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we don't have time to exhaust uh, every single one of those today, but let me just pull out a few from this passage. Let's start with God the Father. What does this mean for us from this passage? We affirm that God is our creator. But this passage reminds us that God is not a detached deity that just wound up the universe and said, good luck, 
Hope your life turns out well. See you on the other side when the story is over. No, we see from this passage that God is at work, that God and his sovereignty is at work in the world, weaving his grand story of redemption. The big picture storyline of the Bible the Bible, as big as it is, with as many books as it is, written over thousands and thousands of years, the big picture storyline has four parts. Creation, fall, rescue, and renewal. And God has been working throughout the beginning of humankind, weaving this story together. God created the world and humankind. All was perfect and all was good. Humankind in our rebellion, we've made a mess of things. But God loves us so incredibly that God just launched this massive rescue part of his story. First by providing garments for Adam and Eve, and then by providing a covenant with Abraham and the nation of Israel. And then out of the nation of Israel came the perfect Israelite Jesus. And Jesus lived and he introduced us to the kingdom as we just shared in song. And Jesus taught and he went to the cross and he died for the sins of the world. And the great majority of the Bible is about this massive rescue plan. And the fourth storyline is about renewal. God is making all things new. God is continually working in our world to make all things new. And that includes me and you. And so we get to this verse, Romans 8, 28, and we read, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is part of God's renewal plan in your life. This is another one of those misunderstood concepts. This does not mean that God will only allow good things in the lives of his people. And it does not mean that when bad things happen, God will put a bow on it and make it a good thing as we understand good and bad. But what this means is those who have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that what God does is he works in your life. He uses your experiences. He uses your joys. He uses your successes. He uses your challenges. He uses your pain. He uses your hardship to fashion you and make you into the nature of Jesus. God is working right now in your life to make you like Jesus. The last word on God in this passage is that God loves you with an enduring, undying love that cannot be taken away. Paul writes, No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced neither death nor life, angels or demons, present or future, powers, height, depth, nothing else in all creation. You get the feeling that Paul just couldn't describe anything else. He said, you know what, just nothing else in the whole world. Nothing else can separate us from the love of God in Jesus. Let that sink in for a minute. That might be one of the greatest declarations of love in all the love stories of the world. Death will not separate you from the love of God. Death will not separate you from the love of God. Spiritual highs and lows will not separate you from the love of God. None of the evil one's schemes can drive a wedge between you and the love of God. Nothing in your present, anybody going through a hard time right now? Nothing in your present can separate you from the love of God. Nothing in your future 
Is anybody in the room right now anxious about something in your future? You know, anxiety is all about the future, right? You're worried about something in the future. You're worried about how it'll turn out. You worry about the unknown. Here, St. Paul says, hey, there's nothing out there that will separate you from the love of God. Nothing in all creation. Nothing. Is there something you're afraid of? A disease? A difficulty? A hardship that's down the road? You will not go through a trial without the love of God. God is at work in the world writing His story. God is at work in your life writing His story in you. And God loves you with a love that cannot be taken away. God the Son. In this series, we're going to look at words like atonement and gospel. So we're going to spend a lot of time on Jesus. So let me just notice a few things here. One of the things we see from this passage is Jesus is our exemplar. A few years ago, Jody and I bought a, a little boat. We had a, a boat in Minnesota, and we got the itch again. And we got the itch again, and we found a little boat at a good price. But my skills didn't come back. That's interesting. It's an interesting thing when you boat, right? So one of the things that skills didn't come quite back is I can, I can go drive the boat fine, but you've at some point got to stop the boat, right? And, and particularly, you've got to park it. You've got to dock it. And my docking skills just did not come back to me. It, it was awful. I mean, it was, it was just good luck. You know, you just you point it in the dock and you do your best. You try. And so one day I went out with a friend of mine named Jeff. And Jeff is just a terrific boater and all that. And, and, and you know, to be honest with you, I was getting close to the dock. And I would just want to say, hey, Jeff, why don't you pull it in? But, you know, man pride took over. And I'm not about to hand over, the, you know, the boat. And, and so I came in, I came in too hot, and, you know, we stopped. You know, there's, there's a dock there that stops you eventually. And, and we stopped. And I said, you know, I said, was I going a little fast? He said, yeah, way too fast. And Jeff is a very understated guy. And he, and he told me this technique. He said, when you're docking, do this. And he told me the technique. It was like night and day. And almost, it's like, I'm a good docker now. I really am. You trust me. You know, I've been waiting to invite some of you on the boat because I didn't want you to see me dock, but I, I'm willing to, for you to come out now. And I can actually stop the boat without life-threatening injury or property damage. And so it's a good thing. Every time I start heading in, I say, okay, how would Jeff do this? I'm serious. I would get a WWJD bracelet, you know, what would Jeff do? But I figured he might get a, an ego or something. Jesus is our exemplar. He is how we should live every area of life. He's our example. This is why we learn. This is why we teach Bible study here as part of the Christian church. This is why we have all these studies that Pastor Brian mentioned earlier, plus some Monday night studies, digging deeper. Look at our website. Encourage you. Encourage you. Learn the life of Jesus. Learn his heart. Learn his mind. Scripture tells us when you look at the person of Jesus, oh my goodness, you see a man full of mercy. You see somebody reaching out to those on the margins. You see Jesus full of grace and full of truth. You see this incredible sacrificial 
love. You see this incredible nature of a servant. The life of Jesus is the life that God wants for each one of us. And so we see from this passage, He is our exemplar. We also see from this passage that He loves us deeply with a sacrificial love that is absolutely breathtaking. And we see that He's praying for us. We see this too from right from the right now he's sitting at the right hand of God praying for us interceding to God on our behalf. Lastly, God the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit that dwells within God's people. God is on his throne. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father this passage tells us and it's the Holy Spirit that dwells within God's people. It's the Holy Spirit that's doing the work of conforming us into the image of Jesus. We could not even come close to embracing the attributes of Jesus without the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. One of the most beautiful roles of the Holy Spirit is to pray for us when we don't know how to pray. Love that passage there in 8, 26 and 27. The Spirit helps us teach, prays for us when we don't know how to pray, intercedes for us with wordless groans, He searches our hearts, God does, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit's interceding according to the will of God. Have you ever faced a situation in life and you just didn't know how to pray? You just didn't know how to pray. Maybe it was a time of grief and not knowing how to move on. Maybe it was a time of anxiety over a job, relationship, maybe finances. Maybe it's a time of conflict with a loved one. Maybe a really hard decision. I know I've shared this with you before. and you know, Part of my journey four years ago, my mom died, had dementia. And there were times I'd visit her and I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know whether to pray for healing or for God just to go ahead and take her. And I remember thinking then, the Spirit knows how I should be praying right now. The Spirit knows the Holy Spirit praying for us even when we don't know how to pray. There's something that's facing you in the future you don't even know about yet. The Holy Spirit could be praying for you right now that you would be ready for His work in your life to make you more like Jesus. Holy, holy, holy. God in three persons. Blessed. Trinity. This Trinity is a mystery. Three in one, each co-equal, beyond my imagination, but my friends, not beyond my worship and my awe. My prayer for you is that you'll be in awe and mystery of God expressed in the Trinity. You'll be encouraged by the love of the Father, by the grace of the Son, and by the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, our creator and sovereign, we ask that you reign fully and completely in our lives today. Jesus, our redeemer, teacher, shepherd, and friend, open our hearts and minds to receive your example. Holy Spirit, work in us. Give us the power to be more like Jesus. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, 
and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing song.